Welcome in. It's episode seven of the Citizen Sounder Gas Cast, and we have a treat for you today. Uh, Seattle soccer living, I, I just checked, and he is still living, legend, Cliff McGrath. We're going to talk to, to Uncle Nubber in just a few minutes and uh, and get his thoughts on a lifetime spent uh, in, uh, in the beautiful game, in the pursuit of perfection in the beautiful game. Um, a week ago, during episode six, we talked with Don Ruiz, and Don and I both agreed that you know Sounders had gotten off to a lousy 0-3-1 start, or 0-0-3, and then they went 1-0-1 in their next two games. But both of us kind of concurred that it, it it didn't feel dominant. It did. It wasn't a great 1-0-1. It felt more like a fortuitous 1-0-1. I thought Saturday night they played as close to the, the perfect kind of game that, that we even talked about they needed. They It took them 41 minutes to get the lead, but they never trailed in the game. They led from the 41-minute mark on. Uh, you're finally playing a long stretch of soccer with a lead where you can relax a little bit and think about things other than, oh, my God, we've got to score, we've got to prevent a score. You, you can actually you know move the ball around and, and, and kind of see how your offense and your defense are going to react in certain situations. Then they get the second goal, and you couldn't have asked for a better situation than Jordan Morris being involved, involved, very involved in that second goal, um, and a big key. We're going to talk to Cliff about that in a few minutes to you know, con- continue the, the local pipeline. And I mean, there's been a little pressure on 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 the the young man, and and I, nothing that I don't think he can handle. And 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 you know, this is a guy's playing pro soccer. That's going to be the deal. You're going to have pressure on you, but. Yeah, the longer it goes without him scoring, the more people start whispering, and he's trying to replace Obafemi, and that's a that's a fool's errand because Obafemi's got his own legacy. Morris getting a goal, I thought, was really big on Saturday night, and then they hang on and get the win, and and there's even a Sounders element to Phillies one goal with Sebastian Latou scoring uh, that one. Solid performance by the Sounders. Uh, we uh, have uh, April 30th circled on our calendar, and we hope you do too. We're going to originate after the Sounders and Columbus play that afternoon. Sometime shortly after 3 o'clock at legendary Seattle Watering Hole FX McCrory's, we are going to originate the first ever uh, live Sounders FC post-game. Uh, FX has been a site of so many firsts in this city in terms of sports fans and sports broadcasting, and we're going to add to that legacy on April 30th with a tremendous live post-game show, and we're going to have more announcements as we get into next week, and, uh, and we're looking forward to a huge crowd showing up and participating uh, both at FX McCrory's and also via uh, uh, Twitter and, and, and other social media uh, outlets. Uh, it's going to be fun. April 30th, the first of uh, what will be two big post-game shows. We're going to do one on April 30th, one on May 21st, and kind of wrap around that, see what the reaction is, and see if there is a way uh, to keep that going. We'll have a, a fundraising element that kicks in around then as well, and we'll see if the if if we can create content that's compelling and interesting and fun enough that people want to help us continue to create that content by helping us uh, uh, pay uh, for the costs of, uh, of producing it. So that's on April 30th. Uh, our Sounders FC post-game show here on CitizenSounder.com. All right, Episode 7 of the Citizen Sounder Gas Cast continues, and we welcome in an absolute Seattle soccer legend. He doesn't need much of an introduction, but 597 wins, five national championships. I'm going to ask him how many thousands of players he coached over the years. Uh, Seattle Pacific University legend and, and soccer legend Cliff McGrath. Nubber, it is great to see you again. 
It's the Rubber Nubber Show. How'd I, how'd I do? Is it 597, yeah, right? Yeah, five nine, well, actually, because I signed on as an associate coach with my son, it's now up to 603. But uh, because Those last six are disputed. I mean, I mean, Most yeah, people are giving them to your son. Yeah, they, they are. Well, he gets it too, but there's an old <laughs> old uh, bylaw with the NC2A, 39.77, whatever, 31.92, whatever, 47. Anyway, that if you, in the early days of sports in this country – they couldn't afford coaches like they do today, right. so they had co-coaches. So yeah. if you're a co-coach, you get credit for the wins and blame for the losses, um, as opposed to an assistant coach or whatever else, because they're they're saying, okay, because you're co-coaches, you get to share in those things. I right. fought that whole thing, but last year I agreed to go down and work with my son a little, and actually I think it's uh, one more than that. But 604, I, I, where, where, where'd you work? Yeah, Where's your son coach? Barry University in Miami, North mm-hmm. Miami. And he's, wow. he went, there, there's lots of stories there, but uh, you know, I've probably, I got 150 former players coaching throughout the world at one level or the other, and probably 147 of them I've helped get the job yeah. because you're the AD, you call me, says, I need a candidate. I said, which one? I got 150, 200, <laughs> 5,000. And uh, so we've had we've had fun getting some people in places. Between your work at SPU and then the, the legendary soccer camps that you ran up on Whidbey for a yeah, while and other at places. Best year, yeah. Any idea how many kids you've coached? Any ballpark idea of how many kids could say, "Yeah, I was at a Cliff McGrath camp or I played for yeah. a coach." I I am not one that centers on numbers mm-hmm. like uh, Bill Gates wants quantitative. How many malaria shots do we give? And that's good news. Right. You got to have some credibility there. It's probably uh, over the 100,000 number over the years in terms of camps, coaching, clinics, um, uh, the school, Mm -hmm. the four schools I I coached at. Yeah, it's over 100,000. Not at SPU, by any means, because, you know, you have the – at one point the – Roster limits came in, so if you've got 24 guys, then theoretically, because it's not basketball with the Fab Five, theoretically you're going to have about eight or ten of them for four years. Right, so, right. So you, so, but it's, it's you know, if you take everybody, including your son or daughter or your grandfather, right. you know, then it's, 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 it's up there. So. <laughs> well, since we've seen each other, you've, you've had a big milestone. You've, you've, you've turned 80 years, <laughs> yeah. you hit the 80 mark. What a joke. That's unbelievable. <laughs> no, nobody thought that had happened. That's for um, old people. Do you... Do you think about legacy? No, no. The only well, that's a lie. I think about it when someone uses the word, and I'm not sharing with them the legacy of your producer. Mm-hmm. I'm basically what you mean. No, I don't think about legacy. Never did. Um, growing up in the streets of Detroit, the goal was to get across the street mm-hmm. and still be breathing, as opposed <laughs> to social recognition. So social recognition is never been part of my makeup it's mm. not part of my uh, my mantra or my dna but the, but the whatever we want to call it a hundred thousand that is a legacy that's part of your life it, it's it's amazing yeah. to stop and think and again you, you know you, i guess you don't want to reflect too much but that's a lot of people you've impacted well and and i think the system impacts i mean point is if we say let's go do something and then it it becomes remarkable and then as they're marching they're looking who's the band leader well I'm turning to you guys. Look, this mm-hmm. march would be really embarrassing if I were out here by myself. Right. But I got two guys with me, and they're wearing headphones. So that's where I think the reminder comes back. Okay, if that's a legacy, then yeah, that's great stuff. And you talk about you know 150 former, uh, uh, you know 150 coaches out there that are part of your coaching tree that that played for you. You've got all these kids at the camps. You know, there's 
I, I'd love to be able to do a survey of the 40,000 people that were at the Sounders match Saturday and say how many of them either played or were coached or had a kid. I mean, you've impacted that, too. And I'm not trying – I don't need to puff your head up any bigger. You, you've got that big, arrogant yeah, attitude. Yeah, I got the hat on just to keep That's it from right. swelling. But, I mean, it's, 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 it must be neat. And it's not just you. It's all the people who worked with you. It's all the people yeah, who came up. Yeah. But, but this city has got so much soccer in its DNA, and, and you're a big part of that. Well, the interesting part is when I came here in 1970, um, I came as dean of students at SPU and soccer coach. Because by then, I wouldn't go. I was going to go to law school mm-hmm. until my college coach decided to take a sabbatical. And maybe I shared that with you at one time where, you know, he got all six seniors in his room. He said, we're going to have a press conference this afternoon. Yeah. I had never heard the term. Street kids in Detroit got a lot of gaps, you know. <laughs> What's a pre- I thought it was going to be some ironing contest. When I looked at my pants, are they wrinkled? And... Um, and then eventually it came out that this is going to be a bunch of sports writers and so on that are coming. Because he was an icon. I, I gave his eulogy back here in November in Chicago at 96 years old. So anyway, um, at some point, uh, you know, leaving, he says, I'm leaving. Well, nobody leaves. This was before, you know, free agency. Yeah. So everybody stayed wherever they were except the Bambino and, you know, a couple other people. Who yeah. Make big changes. So at some point, uh, uh, I said, you know, so what's the problem? He said, well, I got a sabbatical. Well, I'd never heard the word. So I said, is it terminal? And, and, he, <laughs> and, he, and he said, they laughed, and he laughed, and that's how I learned a lot of things. He said, no, I'm going to get my Ph.D. At which point, being a little older, because I'd been a two-time dropout in high school, and I, you know, I was a little older than the other guys. So then I said, well, who, who's going to coach next year? Because my wife is a year, my wife to be is a year away from graduating. I'm going to go on to New York University to law school. And he didn't bat an eye. He said, you are. I okay, so then it's, well, okay, I'm not doing anything else. I can do that and stay here. And, be and you had some coaching in your background. It wasn't like this was Well, I had been new. coached by a lot of people. Yeah. I had never coached myself, but I had... I was hockey player. I had one of the greatest coaches in hockey. I wanted to play for the Red Wings. I played baseball, football, basketball. Uh, I, I had been coached by by cigar smoking and you know mm-hmm. pool room operators and just like a lot of people there, you get that sort of thing. So it's uh, it's basically um, a, 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 a trophy room full of experience sitting back here. So right. and. We wind up winning the uh, Big Ten championship that year with a bunch of, you know, leftovers. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that got everybody's attention because we'd never done it when I was a player. Yeah. We always finished a half a game behind Indiana. Right. And all those schools played in the same Big Ten conference, Midwest conference, because there weren't enough schools playing. Well, then the next thing I know, uh, a Boston school calls me, Gordon calls me, and they're dropping football. I want to start soccer. And one of my former buddies, a football player, was out there to grad school. And he said, I got the guy for you. So instead of going to New York, we veered off, went through Canada, wound up in Boston for seven years, and we were pretty successful there. And then the president of Spring Arbor College, which is a sister school of Seattle Pacific. I thought Seattle was near the Bering Straits. I had never, I was good at geography, <laughs> but not, never been out here. So he comes to speak at the school. I'm the PR guy, I handle it. And then later, fast forward, he wants me to come to Spring Arbor and be the PR guy in soccer. They're going to start soccer. Well, he picks me up after I finally agreed to do it. And we're on our way the 75 miles from Detroit to Spring Arbor when he said, I've changed my mind. Well, I'm ready to plug him while he's driving and you know, take the wheel. And because uh, I'd already told Gordon, that's it. I'm gone after seven years. Well, he said, I want you to be uh, dean of students. And 
in soccer because I've done a little investigating and that Gordon campus is yours. So that's, you know, and we need that. So I became dean of students. Well, a year later, he comes out here to speak and they wind up hiring him because the president's retiring and he comes back to me and says, I told you I'd be here for five years and if you say no, uh, you know, I won't go. I'm thinking, you got to be daft to be saying that. <laughs> so in any event, um, Dave McKenna, then I said, hey, go, uh, you know, no sweat. So the next two years, he's begging me to come out here because they just had a AAU guy, Arnie Arstrates, uh, Ars- Arnie, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, and Arnie uh, just kind of had, they hadn't won a game. They were playing, you know, academies and high schools and community colleges. And um, so I said, well, I made these guys a promise that in three years we'd be in the Nationals. And after the first year, we were four and four. The second year, we made the playoffs. The third year, we were in the Nationals. And we won the opening game against an undefeated team from Connecticut, but then finished uh, fourth because there was eight teams. And our guys got off the bus yelling, we're number eight, we're number eight. (laughs) So anyway, at that point, I was free, and he still said, good, come on out. So when I got here, uh, basically the whole soccer thing was just a mess, particularly at the college level. So we in Seattle, the in whole, Seattle, yeah. the yeah. whole state, the whole Northwest was a mess. There was only about six thousand kids in the youth soccer program, mm-hmm. and there were probably um, I don't know ten schools around playing soccer. There were there was five six schools in the Western Washington Soccer League, whatever. So we go out there. All these I, I sent messages to every male student in the dormitories invited them to come out for a game called soccer yeah well the mess i got you couldn't believe <laughs> so one of the first games we played we got beat nine nothing and we went oh seven and three that year and we measured our success by how few goals we could allow the same team we played the first time so our That's first improvement <laughs> our first tie was a victory for us <laughs> and of course the second and then so at the end of that season, I sent an invitation to every single school in the Northwest, Idaho, Washington, Oregon, and even lower Columbia, uh, British Columbia. We met at the Tubby Graves building. It's in May. The room's filled with people. I thanked them for coming, and I said, the reason I've asked you here is because collegiate soccer in the Northwest is a, is a mess. You know, and a couple of guys got up, well, what do you mean? I said, I, I said, come on. I said, if you come two, I'll get one of you. But if you come one at a time, I'll last a while. But that's a quote from the chairman of the NCAA committee. Yeah. He said, it's just a joke. He said, the whole thing's a joke. And this Ernie, is 1970 or this so? This is 1971, spring of 71, because yeah. my first season was the fall of 70. Yeah. Well, we find out that half, if not more, of the guys playing for – SU for University of Washington for Puget Sound. Western Washington's coach is playing with him. And I knew him when he was a player at Biola down in California. Half of them weren't even enrolled in school. Hmm. So by the time we finished, we had a one-page constitution. We had the title of it, Northwest Collegiate Soccer Conference. I was the commissioner. I said, someday this will go away, but for now, this is how we're... We had everything. We had dogs with one leg in a, in a division. <laughs> we, had, uh, we had women's clubs. We had community colleges. We had Olympic division, Cascade division. I was the commissioner. There was always some guy like John Duggan down at UPS. I think Cliff should be president. I said, give me a break. I'm the only full-time guy in all the college and basically uh you know somebody's got to run this and so yeah. i have a desk and i have a place we can pump out and i did all the scheduling and everything else well that next year we made the playoffs and then in, in the rest of the 70s we were in every postseason we finished second three out of four years and then in 78 we finally won our first national championship 
Well, beyond that, away we go, and the whole area then is playing according to the rules. The NC Toy's happy. Uh, it's no longer a joke. And the weekends, from the time I hit here, I would travel all around the state, every place, just to get you and you and you. And I thought this thing was fun. Well, you know, for, for a guy who turned 80 years old, you get a lot of messages. You get a lot of friends, huh? Well, it's... Everybody wants to talk to you. Well, it's funny because uh, I never... Go back to your legacy question. I, I didn't give a rip. I was always driven by what's the principle? What are we supposed to accomplish? That's why I never, ever said to one of my teams, we, we can win this game. Mm-hmm. Never. No one ever heard me say we're going to beat this team. If the word beat or win is used, it's win the ball. Beat the man to the ball. Right. Because the other is generalities. If you start talking about scoring goals, which is one of my problems with listening to these guys in, in news conferences, you know, well, we need a goal scorer. There are no goal scorers in soccer. I mean, if you don't have the team set the table, Messi is just a, you know, busboy at yeah. some, some restaurant in Argentina. You know, he, he doesn't... Uh, he doesn't do what he can do without the rest of the table being properly prepared. Most goals are a series of about 10 yeah. things happening. One year when we won a championship, 70% of the goals came from the back two-thirds. Don't make any Not sense. Not the big stars up front. Yeah. Not that we never – we didn't believe in star quality. So uh, along the way, um, so you so you helped streamline. Then, in yeah, other words, a college yeah. game is ragged, and yeah, and, yeah. and this is yeah. the you know it's more of a club sport in Austin. Yeah. It had to happen, yeah. right? I mean, this it had to get streamlined. Jerry Yegley at University of Indiana was the John Wooden of Indiana Division One, right? And, yeah, I know him well. Jerry got and he was one of my. I gave his keynote speech at his retirement back uh, in Bloomington with the mayor and the governor and whatever thousand people. They gave him 25 years of victories that were nothing but club victories, and the NC2A doesn't count club victories as part. He's the all-time leader in yeah. Division One, and but they realized that's because there was no structure. So why penalize a guy that spent 25 years of his life building a stadium, building you know the same way we did with Inner Bay and so right, on? So right. I think I think that's the perspective. The perspective is you do what you well. When it came time for that luncheon at Horatio's, I think I shared that with you at one point. Uh, Walt Daggett, who was the gunner for the Skinner Corporation, brought eight of us together at the AGC building. Herman Sarkowski's office was on the top floor. He owned that building before he built Gateway. And uh, and at the end of the lunch, uh, and Walt's smoking all this time because Walt's a chain smoker, and you could smoke in restaurants back in the early 70s. You're still, you know, fumigating. <laughs> and um, and so afterwards, he says, would you mind staying behind? Well, a few minutes later, we're upstairs in, in uh, Herman's office, and out comes Dick Vertlieb, who you know brought the yeah. Sonics here. And uh, they chatted a little bit and said, well, Dick said, I think we ought to get Cliff to put the soccer thing together because they were told by Lamar Hunt that if they got the Seahawks thing, which they hadn't, that vote wasn't going to come up until the next spring, mm-hmm. Um, that if they got the Seahawks, they should look into soccer. This is the so NASL when it's when it's first so coming here. So that's when I went east to the. There were only nine teams left, and I went to the four finalists: uh, Toronto, New York, Philadelphia, and Dallas, and wrote a performance sitting in Lamar's big palatial suite in the conference room. Joe Shell was the general manager. And Lamar says, give Cliff the book. So I'm sitting there. I wrote a seven-page performer, brought it back, gave it to Walt down at the Hunan China mm-hmm. restaurant. And Walt pushed it aside and said, we'd like you to do it. Do it from the press box to the field. You take over. You run it. You blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I hate to tell you this, Walt, but I don't think this league's going to last. And I really don't feel good about saying see you, Seattle because we're just starting there. We're only in our third yeah. or fourth year. 
So I did the TV for him, did the television kind of right. and But put the team together, found John Best, found Jack Daly. Uh, you know, we went over, uh, Jimmy Gabriel and I went over to England and probably brought back 11 players with us back in those days with the Davy Buttles and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But you had a feeling even then, because the NASL was, the MLS is robust, comparatively Correct. speaking. The NASL yeah. never had the kind of the, 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 the foundation. Right. And you recognize that. Yeah. You're like, well, yeah. I'm a little yeah. nervous yeah. about where this league's going to well, make it. Well, and the thing is, Adrian, who had been a camper and a teenager uh-huh. at our camp up on the island before we moved to Bastyr, but... I used to sit with Adrian for coffee. I'd go over to Leshai because it's near his palace, and uh, <laughs> and we'd sit there. And I said, because I was, the, you may remember, I was the co-chair of the bid committee for the MLS charter members, along with uh, Yogi uh, mm-hmm. Hudson down at the Sheraton, and uh, and we had uh, uh, you know big time people come in and counsel us and all that good stuff. But uh, effectively, it didn't look like it was going to match. Well, the reason why this really was going to go. And while I told, uh, I, I shared with uh, Adrian, I said, why don't you throw your hat in the ring? Because he was doing the, lo- the second division sounders at the mm-hmm. time. He said, well, there's a, this is his quote. So there's a difference between losing a few thousand yeah. and a few million. Yeah. And I looked right at him and says, let me tell you something. You won't lose a penny because every single kid that came that we used to put in buses on the island to bring to the old sounders game is now a parent whose kids have been playing since they were born. Right. And if you if 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 you're a marketing guy, you got to believe that those kids are now adults. They're going to the game. They're fans. Whereas yeah. the kids led the you know the scripture says a little child shall lead them. The kids then led their parents. Parents didn't care. They didn't know. Well, I don't know what this damn game is. They would say, yeah. but now those kids are parents and all their kids are the swarm that's out there over a hundred thousand in the Washington State Youth Soccer now. So that was kind of almost a given that Seattle would lead the way as a flagship uh, franchise. And yeah. That's pretty much the story. I, I say to people with MLS now, I think one of the things that's happened, Cliff, is um, the, the, the growth, the explosion that's about to happen. I don't think we're, we have any concept of it because Every kid who, say, is 25 years old or younger right now who's a soccer fan, they don't remember not having the MLS. MLS is just part of their life. Exactly. They grew up with people exactly. watching soccer. Yeah. And that's going to just the, – the exponential yep. growth of that. Yep. Now, have you seen there's a new Delta TV ad where Adrian's bouncing a yeah. ball off yeah. of his, his – yeah. Now, he's – I'm going to so preface this by saying he's never – Claimed that he had great game, but you had him as a camper. Do you remember <laughs> yes, him at all I as do. a camper? In fact, do you really? one, of, one of his teammates back in '81 uh, that came to camp. They came as a team. The East Side team came as a team. Uh, East Side United, I believe it was, whatever their name was at the time. I have the record someplace. But, but one of his uh, teammates was uh, Horowitz, uh, Russ, who mm-hmm. obviously became a billionaire <laughs> with GoToNet, which was that during the frenzy years was like you know watch it. Split, split, split. So, you know, would he play professionally? No. And he would be the first to admit it. Yeah, right. But he was a, a, a zealot. He was a, an enthusiast. You can see where his love for the game uh, basically is in place of whatever skill people might be looking for. His skill is the vision. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's a, he's a world-class uh, uh, soccer guy. He's a world-class player, even though – and he can still dribble, like I say, the – once the game's in your soul, and you're 99, you got a cane, and you're hobbing along a field, and a ball bounces across the field, your last act on earth is to toss the cane, get one more good kick, and die with a smile on your face. <laughs> That's the soccer 
uh, intrigue. That's, that's how. That's, that's why, uh, that, even though I'm glued to the net last night because the Red Wings have got to win the next game and yeah. go back to Tampa Bay and do something heroic. But, but you know, soccer gets in your blood. I'm still going to go to law school because I didn't get to law school. <laughs> still, that's still on the list? You mentioned the Red Wings. It, how? Because I've read in, in biographies of you that, that, that hockey was your first love. Not uh, a surprise for a kid growing up in unbelievable. Detroit. Unbelievable, yeah. Uh, were you any good? And did you? I thought you you considered playing yep. at the college yep. level, right? Yep. So you were good. I, I was going to go to Michigan State with the hope that scholarships were almost unheard of. Mm -hmm. But my dream as a street kid was to play at Michigan State, play hockey for old Emil, and um, and then I chased this good-looking, dark-haired girl into a tent meeting. And came out the other side with uh, without profanity. I used to take the Lord's name in vain every five words, and that was gone. And I didn't didn't have it down on my list. It you just, went to a revival, and this yeah, this, this I, I, it was you. the only place she would go. She was the drum majorette and the head cheerleader, and the word was. And I was there because I was I was sort of siphoned off by my birth father, who came and got me. Instead of going to reform school, I spent a year with him. Well, now I'm in a different place. Yeah, I'm out of the city. I'm in this, you know, kind of suburban area. And, and uh, the first girl I saw, whoa, and somebody said, no, no, she's never had a boyfriend. She's never been kissed. Guess what Uncle Nubby's plan was. <laughs> and, and I succeeded. I was their first boyfriend. It was the first kiss. However, that's as far as it would go to get a little uh, indelicate here. I mean, yeah. I had other plans. And she wouldn't go any place I would go. Yeah. So I wind up going to a Wednesday noon hour Bible study with her. And my buddies... <laughs> you, were, you were committed. My buddies would say, what are you, a G.I. Jesus boy? And I says, amen, <laughs> hallelujah, brother. And of course, they would, they, would get the, they would get the message. Oh, okay, we see. Yeah. And of course, then it began. Well, then obviously, because their second, third, and fourth chapters weren't available, um, they kind of dragged a little bit. So, But I had told her while I was kind of going with her a little bit, that she and my mother would get along well because I'd found out that my birth mother had become a Christian and she was sending my brother and me all kinds of evangelistic type appeals and whatever. Well, be that what it is. Uh, I had a two-pack-a-day smoking habit. Palm malls, I love them because they're about, you know, 14 feet longer. Yeah, than right. right. Camels would burn your hide. You're smoking two-packs a day when you, as you're an athlete. Yeah, well, it's everybody. With training. Eight years old, you started smoking. You know, you <laughs> blow your fingers off and start smoking at the same time. <laughs> So, uh, so the the bottom line is that um, two weeks later, after that tent meeting, because I I've thought this guy's been doing investigating. He, how does he know all this about me? You know. He, yeah, yeah. So I'm yes, 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 <laughs> hallelujah. So, anyway, so and when I sat with the guy down the sawdust trail, it's the first guy uh, calling himself a Christian I had ever seen or met that was what I would consider attractive. They all others scowled and pointed the fingers says, you're evil and everything. <laughs> and this guy wasn't concerned about life and death. He said, what would you like to do in life? You know, I'm sitting there, well, well, I'd like to be a soccer, hockey player, not soccer, hockey player, football. I had a dream of playing for all the Detroit teams, the Lions, the three of them, the Lions, the Tigers, and the Red Wings. The Pistons were never Detroit because they came from Fort Wayne. They went up where they had food and water and light and heat. And <laughs> so we never, we never had done that. But anyway, that, 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 two weeks later, I look in the dresser, and there's an unopened pack of Pall Malls. And I'm looking at it like, wait a minute. What's that doing there? And, and so when I came out of that tent meeting... We go and we do stuff, and then we go every night for the next two weeks because there's no place. That she won't go where I go. So anyway, I'm thinking to myself, and so that smoking thing was gone as if I had cold turkeyed it. You just quit. 
I didn't. I didn't know I quit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I quit. So, it was done. Yeah. That was. It was like, and, and that was from the time I was twelve till I was eighteen. So yeah. you're talking six years of lung fever. So. Anyhow, it was. That's and then, just, did you, so you quit hockey because of that? No, or, no, no. Wait, so you quit the, Paul Malls and no, hockey in the same no, no, lifetime? No, well, that's a great statement. But the point is, now I'm going to Wheaton College because the advisor to the Bible Club was a, uh-huh. a R. Miss Brooks person called Phyllis Leavenworth, and yeah. she was the uh, she was stereotypically uh, R. Miss Brooks, and so she and Sue got me to fill out the application to Wheaton College. I didn't know Wheaton from a hubcap. And so I'm filling it out. I lied on it because at some point halfway (laughs) down, I said, do you smoke? I knew they weren't looking for a yes answer. So the the whole Christianity thing had only sunk (laughs) in so much at this point. You're still willing to lie. Yeah, yeah, well, of course, (laughs) I I just knew that it wasn't smart to say, if they're asking, do you smoke? (laughs) It wasn't because they were planning to have a carton ready for me. Right, they're going to have a smoking lounge. Exactly. (laughs) So, So that whole thing kind of just got, you know, uh, pushed aside for a while and then when I get to Wheaton I have to work because I have no money and I'm you know I basically no family to send me there and, and today it'd probably cost you seventy thousand dollars to go there so I st- I'm working at 85 cents minimum wage 85 cents an hour I'm working 40 hours a week at International Harvester as a janitor and I'm working on the weekends at an SO gas station and uh, and just going like crazy. Then this other guy, football guy, his son and I started our own painting company. We didn't know squat about painting, but we we had a thousand cards painted or, or printed. Had said painting, interior and exterior. Just call us. Yeah. His name might. So we go down to Frank Fernandez, who bought the Frost Paint Center in downtown Wheaton. So we don't think about painting, but we're going to knock on every door that looks like you need paint. And he said, okay, he says, I'll do the bidding for you, and, and I'll do the assessing. I'll equip you, but then you buy all your paint here. I said, well, where else will we buy it? <laughs> um, and so we got into painting business and that kind of mushroom. So then in the fall, uh, two weeks after they'd been up in the woods in Wisconsin practicing, I run into my college roommate who's coming across a 6-2 unbelievable basketball player. In fact, that was when you couldn't play as freshman. Remember those yeah. years? And I said, what's up? He said, I'm going to turn off for soccer. I said, soccer? I said, you mean kickball? Because that's what it was. Then. Yeah. And I said, isn't that what the girls, and you could call them girls, and isn't that what the girls play at recess? Well, he made a comment about my manhood and dared me to go with him. Uh, said I didn't have the, you know, whatever to go and and do it. And he and what get, year is this? This is in 1955, yeah. the fall of 55, because I got there in 54, and then, of course, this. So you're a sophomore in college. You haven't played soccer yet. No, I didn't even know soccer. All I thought was uh, recess kickball. Right. So, I, in fact, there's a, a little funny sidebar to this. We'll try to be fast, because sooner or later the lights will go up. <laughs> anyway, so we go over to the equipment guy, and he and Mike wanted to get in shape. for he As a freshman, he scored 607 points, and he was ready to be the big superstar the next year. And, um, and, and so I'm getting the equipment, and I get the socks, and I turn to the equipment guy and says, where are the garter belts? Well, <laughs> he, he looks at me like, oh, you know, of course they had different names for that orientation in those days. And, and so I said, yeah. I said, uh, hockey players keep their socks up with a garter belt. And he said, well, here's what we keep them most. So he gives me these rubber bands that are about a, uh, from top to bottom are about an inch, and they're about a quarter of an inch thick. They're yeah. huge. So I pull on these ugly orange socks, 
uh, pull them up as far as I can. I got, by the time we get up to Lawson Field, which is a half a mile from the gymnasium, the, uh, the entire sensation below my rubber bands was neuropathy. I was, <laughs> you know, so I'm running around. They only had six balls. I'm running around the field. I said, this isn't for me. So I go to the coach and they say, ah, I got this. I got this pain here. Some of the, you know, I made up some story, and he looks down at me, Coke bottle, thick glass. He said, well, why don't you just give it a little more time? Give it, give it another day or two. Their first game was four days later. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then I said, okay. And then he whispers, he says, and you can roll those socks down below your knees if you'd like to. <laughs> so at that point, <laughs> here's, this, here's this guy with these things. This is when you wore short pants and you had these socks. And they're ugly orange because orange and blue are their colors. You right? must have been a sight. I was a sight. You couldn't believe it. Of course, I don't know how much laughter was going on over the field, but it didn't last long because four days later, I started in the key position. I could outrun everybody and obviously was a little bit tougher than most of those guys. So four days later, I played in the very first soccer game I ever saw. Mm-hmm. And three years later was the deal in his room when he says, you're going to coach next year. So, so that's kind of the background, and that's why, although I did start a hockey team there, yeah. and we played uh, under the stadium where they split the atom at uh, Alonzo Stagg Stadium in, uh, in uh, the University of Chicago. We played underneath on natural ice, and you know we had all kinds of great stuff until Wheaton actually started their hockey team. They yeah. since abandoned that. I think it was too unrealistic but you have any you know you're not a guy i'm gonna go ahead and just guess you're not a guy who spends a lot of time pondering regrets <laughs> that being said do you ever want to you ever think oh, what would have happened if i had just decided to stick with hockey i know I, I looking at tampa bay who's faster than most teams right now they they've got saying the fact that detroit actually came out and played hockey last night right yeah, the, the first yeah. two games it was like oh what are we doing down here and although Blashill's a great coach, I think he's one of those cerebral guys that will – he won big time at Grand Rapids, which is an affiliate of the Red Wings. And I like him a lot. And he doesn't get theatrical. He just focuses on it. And he's got good players, Abelcater yeah. and some of those guys, along with, uh, you know, Datsuk and, and Zetterberg. So he's got a good blend. And, um, and, and, and so I look at him. I said, no, no, there's no way – not only couldn't I play with these guys – I don't think Gordy and Gretzky yeah. could. They might still get by because of their ability, but not uh, their their thinking ability and their guile. But I don't think they could get by in terms of foot speed. These mm-hmm. guys are like lightning. This yeah. this we know too much now. We know how to prepare players. We know how to look at what we're doing on the field in soccer. Um, I learned passing that I couldn't always pass on to my players. That Bob Wilson, the great goalkeeper for Arsenal, who did our goalkeeping clinics at the beginning years ago we're playing indoor and he says Cliff where did you learn your football and I said what do you mean he said that pass was nobody does that that's brilliant brilliant and it's like you're there you're going to mark us out and I passed to you three inches away instead of whacking it someplace and getting it blocked or whatever. Yeah. And then I teach my kids, and then give it right back to me because the defender's going to turn it. As long as his head's turned, give it back to me, and I give it to you, and we're gone. So, so those things kind of just – I think, you know, I've got the A license. I went through all that because my generation was all picked off because they weren't the instructors. And I said, well – my deal is keep your criticism up to date, so I'm going to go and see what they're doing. Yeah. Well, by midweek at the B license, I was lecturing. <laughs> they, had me, they had me giving lectures. This was an eight. This was something in you then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you love you fall in love with this game. That's yeah, a pro- This yeah. is the world's game for a reason. But you were going to do this. It's pretty yeah, obvious yeah. 
that yeah. somehow this path, because you've got this. Yeah, well, I, I liked anything that was, you know, in fact, there was a little guy that was called a destroyer. He was about five, six, and about the second day turning out for soccer, we collided and wound up spinning around a local telephone pole guy wire. <laughs> and I'm down in the dirt with grass in my teeth, and he's on top of me. And I can remember consciously saying, I like this game. Because yeah, the first time they said tackle, I thought, go get him. You yeah, know? The street no, no, kid yeah. of Detroit was going to yeah, come out yeah. eventually, I mean, the right? The point is, this is just, and soccer's the broad-based uh, culture in which those things can occur mm. that you might also be doing in basketball, football, you know, maybe not so much football, but certainly in terms of basketball and, and hockey where the same concepts, the triangulation and the kind of support and the movement off the puck or ball, it's all there. So, right. yeah, that's, yeah, that's the best explanation. You just did it. I mentioned earlier on in, in Episode 7 here uh, that um, I thought the Sounders against Philadelphia had their best match of the year so far. It was necessary. You know, we were talking with Don Ruiz in the News Tribune in Episode 6, and I said, yeah, they're 1-0-1 in their last two, but it's rickety. It doesn't feel strong. They felt strong Saturday night. I thought it was a near-perfect performance, and on top of everything else, they get this young superstar in the making, yeah. Jordan Morris, to yeah. score a goal. Yeah. This guy, I mean, to come from Mercer Island, to be a Seattle guy, yeah. You know, they started this franchise in 09 with Casey and going, and he was yeah, brilliant. Yeah. But I don't know if kids necessarily relate to a guy who's 40. Kids relate to a guy who's 23. There's yeah, 10 yeah, and 12 yeah. and 13-year-olds right now, and they're, they're being told by their coaches, hey, yeah, look, yeah. here's the path this yeah. kid just took. You can do that. What do you think of Morris so far? What do you, what do you know about remarkable, him? Like about him? Remarkable athlete, remarkable character. And if you and you got a Stanford background, you know what they say about, you know, what's the lowest – uh, what do you call the guy that finishes last in his class at Stanford? And you know the answer to that. A no. Stanford graduate. <laughs> and so so the, the bottom line is is that, that you know, this sort of uh, uh, cultural typing where he's got the things that make for Hollywood, make for the big, big right. stuff. I had no concern. The only concern I might have had, and I coached against Siggy for years and years and admire the daylights on him, but the only concern I had is it might have been, I don't think he had a choice. I think he had to start him when that first game came. But I might right, have said, right. okay, let's get the older guys in there right now, although OB was gone, so you had to say, well, we've got to put somebody there with Clint. And, and so I think that's, looking back, that was a good deal. It was just going to take a little time. Right. Now, he had a couple of chances to do the classic, you know, the, you know, the dunk Mm -hmm. Kind of like, the, and and that didn't work, um, particularly the one to the far uh, side. Where I used to have my guys set out the corner of the penalty area and just practice, take a ball, turn, and put it inside the net as if you're crossing it to somebody, but instead put it inside the net. You'll surprise everybody, including yourself. <laughs> but the, And then when he did get the one, it was kind of like burp. You know, he's burping it in. It's not like a classic, you know, rocket that's going to yeah. give it. But, He'll remember that yeah. when he's being interviewed as the player of the year someday. And he'll say, yeah, well, I remember my first professional goal, <laughs> which, yeah. you know, was like making a putt with your eyes shut. You know, okay, I did, and I won the Masters, right? But, uh, no, he's he's a classic, and it's great for Seattle. Anytime you get a hometown guy that can come out of the youth program and go where he's been and be on the national team, the U23s. and No, I, I just think it's uh, it's made in heaven. What's the state in your mind of youth soccer in Seattle? Because I, I would guess, and I don't know near as much about it as you, but I would say, okay, 
the Sounders with the great success they've had with the stars that this region has already produced and going back to Hendy and go and, and, and Casey and Marcus and, and, and now Jordan and there's others that were, that I'm forgetting, but I would hope that it is trickling down and that we're seeing the youth program get better and better. Is that the case? I think that's a, that's a great summary statement. Uh, you've got Bernie James as the director of Crossfire, one of the largest clubs in the country. Peter Hatchup's one of his guys. We've got a lot of our ex-players over there. Uh, Mark Metzger, Mark Collins. You've got you know you good uh, teaching-type people that have been in the game. The old uh, formula was a history professor needed an extra couple bucks for a stipend that he had no idea. I produced a pamphlet way back in the 70s called A Little Help for My Friends. It was a 39-page printout that I cranked out that basically had a 12-game uh, season with every single day plotted out, mm-hmm. including say prayer before or after, you know, yeah. something like that. Yeah. So so that that's kind of like that dark age. Now you've got a population of very insightful, I mean, Chance Fry over at East Side, uh, Aaron, uh, you can go on and on about the people that are really uh, inside the world of soccer, understanding soccer, mechanics, soccer technique, and tactics. The tactics now are so more advanced than they were even 10 years ago. What the what players do now with Bob Wilson's talking to me. Where did, they're all doing it. When mm-hmm. was the last time you saw a youth soccer game where five guys are standing within a five-yard square area with defenders passing back and forth? Well, yeah. one of the things you do in the in the uh, warm-up period is the five versus two or seven versus two, where bing, 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 and effectively uh, practice that finite part of the game. And now, if you don't have that coming up as a youth. Uh, somebody's got to go to jail because all of the youth coaches now have been through the licensing programs. That's that part of it. So the good news is that part. The bad news is when you're talking about youth sports, we got a millennial problem. Hardly any kid today uh, makes his own decisions, although the swing is coming back. You know, the Jamie Johnson side of the world here may help that a little. But, but basically, you know that when you're dealing with a kid that you're benching, you're not dealing with him, you're dealing with his parent. And they move, and, they're going to move, they're going to go to yeah, another league. And, uh, yeah, or, or yeah. the big thing is they go to the president or the, the head and say, we've got to fire the coach because that's part, of the, that's part of the culture in the world today. And that's all sports. Yeah, that's not just yeah, soccer. No, that's not you, when I said youth sports, yeah, 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 right. not just soccer. And soccer's probably been the, the sort of the, the late comer to that sort of culture mm-hmm. but it's there now it's yeah. clearly there the, you ask any director of any major club and they've got the same headache to tell you about you know so that's the yeah. big challenge yeah. as we all move yeah. forward and I'm is- not sure I'm not sure there's an evangelist uh, or an evangelistic approach that might sweep the country there's no Billy Graham factor that is going to bring these people back in we're going to have to figure out how to deal with it people you say how do you coach this guy I said well I just put a, a uh, keyboard on my forehead and go out and say click in you know? <laughs> But it's it, it, it's an interesting thing to ponder because we, we we have raised you know where if a kid gets benched well you either get the coach fired I'm gonna pull him out and put him in another league yep. and so kids don't yep. learn to process disappointment yep. and yep. say okay yep. what are you gonna do now not to be benched yep exactly because there's a path you mentioned uh, the Jamie Johnson series now you brought me a yep. book and and, yep. and and tell me a little bit about this so as quickly as I can uh, last 
uh, Thanksgiving, I get an invitation by Aaron uh, Byers over at uh, Eastside to meet with a guy named Kevin Clark at the Jewish Center in Mercer Island mm-hmm. for a good Presbyterian. That's good. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> so, so I go over there, and they talk to me about this book, this Jamie Johnson thing, the first edition of which by D.C. Friedman in the U.S., but in the United Kingdom it's Dan because they don't like initials. So Born to Play is the Harry Potter of soccer which was my response after reading. You can read this before breakfast, you know. Yeah. You can, this, this is the first. The second edition is about 250 pages, and it's called Of All Things Soccer Skills. So one of the things I used to tell my players at the beginning of the season, if you think this is just about soccer, go home now. Because yeah. we're yeah. not here. This isn't just soccer. This is a, you know, we're going to talk about stuff, and we're going to do stuff that has nothing to do with soccer. It has to do with climbing over a wall in your bare feet with glass sticking out. Huh. So Jamie Johnson is a 10-year-old who winds up having to go to England with his mother, where she's from originally after she divorced his father, who goes to prison in New England. And uh, the only hero to him when he gets over there is her father, Mike, who becomes his Uncle Mike. And he's taken the place of Jamie's dad, who he worshipped. And, of course, Jamie's whole dream is to play professional soccer. He's a 10-year-old. Yeah. He goes to one of these typical English schools where the snobs begin to rip him up and down and sideways and blame him for this and that, and he's always in fights. But he's faster than anybody, and he's the better soccer player than anybody else. And he huh. dreams big dreams about being the world's number one player. So eventually he gets past that and becomes the hero of the deal. And effectively, when you read the last page of this book, Born to Play, and it's got crazy little diagrams in it, and the chapters are only a page long sometimes, but it moves like you can't believe. Brad Friedel then taps me, and they contact me and say, we're coming to the coaches' convention, which I've attended for 50-plus years, and this year it was in Baltimore. And we'd like you to meet with the author and with a guy named Tim Gentles, And I had to be real careful because I wasn't sure the first time what I was reading. Uh, So I was was careful there. And I said, how do you pronounce that name? He says, Gentles. Oh, good. (laughs) That clarifies that. But but basically, and then Brad was there, and Brad tells me as we're, and I was the keynote speaker at the Mac Award in St. Louis when he got the Mac Award, which is the equivalent to the Heisman. And uh, as I was for Mia and for Christine Lilly and for Tony Miola and, of course, Michelle, you know, was my – I was her first coach when she was eight years old. So, And Casey's, Casey spent nine years in our camp from a nine-year-old up. But at any rate, uh, Brad says, yeah, he said – and he's endorsed this. He's got something in here with his name on it. But he said, my teenage daughters read this book, and they're not that big in soccer as soccer players. I mean, they play. Right. But the first thing he did was pin me. He says, Dad, where's the next book? What, 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 you know, where's Jamie? What happened to Jamie? Because at the end, Jamie's left hanging. At the end, you can't. Okay, so you yeah. got to know what happens next. So it's going to be a series. Well, then I go over to London for two days with the author and with Tim Gentles, and I say, you know, this is global. This thing has got to be. Uh, this has got to get in the hands of everybody. So there's a literacy element to this, where we go to people who either can't read or won't read, like Diego. Mm-hmm. Dan Friedman has now taken the sort of uh, marching program, the traveling program, to over 500,000 United Kingdom youth. And one of the, and he puts a presentation on, he stops the video at a certain point and says, what do you think? Well, a little nine-year-old girl recently spoke up and says, I just said that to my mom this morning, <laughs> right? I just said that, well, what was the, that? But that was when Jamie says to his mother, I hate you because she wasn't going to let him go and play on this big-time <laughs> soccer deal. And then Diego's sitting there who's into nothing but, you know, the technique and the iPhones and yeah. you name it, the buzzes in the ear. 
And Diego, who's brilliant but won't read a book, gets caught. And now he demands books. He goes to the library and gets books by the tons because it's solved the literacy issue with Diego, who can read, but it also solves it with people who can't read. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, it's in the video form. And when the BBC signed him and they're going to run 11 episodes this summer, uh, Harry's on his way. Well, I got so turned on with this thing. I said, this has got to be in the hands of everybody. So we're going to put it in the hands of our camp. Now, if, if we don't have the ability to sell it to a parent to give to their kid, but I say the parent should read it too. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I defy an adult to read the last chapter of the second book and not choke up. Yeah. And I'm an old, you know, I'm not in a mush. I'm, I'm the street kid, but I'm sitting there, you know, it's like terms of endearment. When do we cry and not make a fool of ourselves with all these housewives coming to the afternoon matinee? So it's made, it's targeted for kids, and it's to basically it, it, give it, them an idea of, hey, you here's read it and tell me if it's for life. kids. Yeah. It's your book. I probably should autograph it, even though I'm not. You in didn't it. write it. I'm going to no, get I'm, Friedman to uh, sign it. I don't want your, your autograph. Yeah, we can on this get Friedel. Friedel's got his yeah, name. Yeah, let's get somebody who knows, yeah, you know. Yeah, write a big timer. Get gentle on the phone. Get in there. Gentle's on the exactly. phone. Get him to Gentle is there. Cliff, you think about it, 40,000 plus at uh, CenturyLink Saturday yeah. night, 4,000 up to see the Seattle Rain yesterday yeah. against Colorado. Yeah. Thousands and thousands of kids playing the sport. And I mean, you're you're if there's a Mount Rushmore of Seattle soccer, you're one of the four mugs up there. Well, and they ought to have a woman in there too. I continue yeah. to say there's four guys, they get the woman in there. Yeah. Right? So so at this point in time, there's some great, great uh, women that have helped do the very same thing. They've really, I mean, Michelle, let's face it, she went back to horse rescuing. She's someone and, I should have talked about when we were talking about yeah, all the yeah, young yeah, players yeah. of yesteryear that helped inspire yeah. and kids. And you, along you the way. made a great point earlier. The fact that we were, we used to have a Michelle Akers week at camp. This mm-hmm. is when she was playing 90, back in the 90s and so on. And it was like a slam dunk. The girls would be lined up all the way to Chicago. And, uh, and then she dropped out for 10 years because she got married. She had Cody. In fact, I was in the wedding and, um, and effectively uh, dropped out of soccer. She, she didn't even go to the White House with Clinton to celebrate the 99 championship because nice. the Michelle Akers week was at our camp. Huh. And I said, hey, Michelle, you said, no, no, I don't want to go. I'm just, you know, I'm here. This is my week. And, and then she kind of turned her back on soccer. Well, then after... Things went kind of a little bit sideways with Steve, uh, her husband, her former husband now. Um, she wanted to get back in soccer. So we talked about getting a week going. We couldn't get a dollar. And this isn't a downer on her. It's what you brought up earlier. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that kids today don't know who the hero was yesterday. Right, right. And I remember the only thing that we could come to agreement on is that maybe her mother, their mothers would remember her. Yeah. But the teenagers, the kids, the teenagers have almost forgotten about Mia. Oh, yeah. And it won't be more than a year or two when Abby's, you know, past tense. Right, right. That's because, how it goes, though. That's how yeah, it always exactly. goes. exactly. That's yeah. the world today, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'll never forget what's her name, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, always a treat, my friend. You look fantastic. You're getting on plane, you're flying, you're traveling, yeah, you're, you're yeah, lively yeah, as all. exactly. Just, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I never did believe in retirement, which is why that whole SP thing, and no, we're working on getting them kind of, you know, getting our guys back across the bridge because there's so yeah. many guys that said, I'm never going to do Well, you know, that's, it, it's too easy to hate and it eats the daylight. So we're, we're not worrying about it. We're Good actually 
trying to build some. We got a little nonprofit going called Club Favor. Club Favor, <laughs> which is Falcon Ambassadors' vision of of relationships or some nice. silly thing. But anyway, we're we're working on scholarships. We're going to get cancer victims to be honorary captains at games and. And, you know, just do some stuff that it's got some health in so it. So you got some relationships back over yeah, there now. Yeah, well, but I got guys. I mean, there were 200 people at that 80th, and including yeah. me, and I didn't know what was happening. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know they were having an 80th. I, I, our invitation blew off the porch. I yeah. Didn't, yeah, I don't know what well, happened. Well, the point is, I don't even know how they did it. So yeah. if it had been me, I'd have said, hey, where's the gas? You you're know? not that easy to Ex- fool, or you're not that yeah. hard to fool. You, no, I knew they had something going, but keep in mind that the 77 that they had, they had a little thing over at Earl's in Bellevue because that was the 47th, and of course, 47 a legendary number. Mm-hmm. Right, it's right. the cosmic number of the universe. Right. It's, it's the prime number that the uh, you know the the Claremont group guys down in in California came up with ten year study that the prime numbers. Well, my forty seven was supposed to be a five, and you know anything. What? Yeah. Okay. So so when I turned out for soccer. After that second day getting knocked down by the destroyer, I went, I got to read about this game. There was no book. I couldn't find out. You couldn't buy a piece of <laughs> soccer equipment in the whole country. It all came from someplace else. So I went downtown Chicago, got the only two books there, and I read about the numbering system. And there are no substitutes in those days. So if, so if you basically break your leg, you know, in a game, you play with 10. Forget about red cards. They didn't have them those days. They booked you. So one, it's just like in baseball, one is the goalkeeper, Right back's two, left back's three, right half's four, center half was a key position because he had to not only support the front, but he had to support those two big. Sure. And the tactics were headed out or kick out. There was no take the ball down and dribble. Yeah. And, of course, the fastest, the longest, most enduring guy was number five. And, of course, Beckenbauer and some of those guys wore that number as well at one point before the sixes. Anyway, so, and Nobby, when I went to the World Cup in 66, uh, Nobby or, or uh, Alan Ball was the right wing, so he's number seven. Number nine, number nine's the center forward. That's uh, the famous number nines, Canali and so on. And then ten was Paley, you know. And and so if they get the flu before the game starts, then you don't wear number seven. You wear number twelve. And all the substitutes are listed under twelve. And in England, they call it and other. Yeah. You're not even a definite. You're and other. <laughs> And so I got this whole business going with number five, you know. I go to get my hair. In those days, I had hair, and I had it shaved down. I go to the campus barber, and he says, you the kid from Detroit? And I said, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you got the razor? And I said, he said, I hear you're starting tomorrow uh, at Center Hatback because they had an All-American that graduated, a guy named Gordy Anderson. And I said, bro, I said, where'd you hear that? He says, your coach was just in here for a haircut. And he says, not only is he excited about it, he says he's going to start you. So the very first soccer game I ever saw, I played it. That was as simple as that. Yeah. And obviously no TV, you know, that stuff. And so I hear that he's got a ritual where you get dressed except for your shirt, and you sit there naked from the waist up. And effectively, he hands you a folded-up jersey. When you open it, you find out whether you're going to start. He never had a starting lineup on the board. So I fondle it. You know, I have a sacred moment, and I spiritualize. And finally, I open it, and it's number 47. <laughs> well, not only do I want to go get the barber, I want to punch the coach out, and then I want the, the, I want the hole to open so I can go to China because I told a few people, I'm starting tomorrow instead of half it. <laughs> now you got number 47. So then, so then I kind of get distracted in my despair I look in our right wing is a guy named Bobby Adolph from Africa. His father was a physician there. And Bobby was, as opposed to Kim Wongaka, Ungawako, and we had a few of those too in the team. But anyway, 
He's putting on number 88, and he should be putting on number 7. Our captain, Pierre Biscay, the French, was putting on 59. He should be putting on 10. <laughs> so now I'm just in there. I'm, I'm, what? And then the coach said, gentlemen, big Coke bottle, thick glass, an unbelievable icon of the game. And uh, he said, gentlemen, he said, uh, just before we go, and I have a word, he said, uh, we ordered our uniforms from Europe in February. This is the 1st of September. He said, they're still not here. So we have to wear the leftover football uniforms. <laughs> so now I'm alive again. So I put on number 47. I will rip it out. And I'm marking some guy from Syria that's going to the University of Illinois Engineering School. And he says, what is this number 47? <laughs> so we beat him. And I hadn't quite bought into the social graces or the Christian graces yet of Wheaton College. So when I'm leaving, I said, what do you think of that number 47 now? <laughs> so now when the real uniforms showed up, I wouldn't wear them. I'm wearing 47. And I started the cult. So every single one of our five national championships at Seattle Pacific had a 47 in a, in a critical, critical position. I've always wondered about that number. because I, I, How long would you like me to live, sir? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. right? Plus 47 days. Forever. Live forever plus 47 days. I've always, I always yeah. said, why the hell is say yeah. that all the time? Why and then you go down to the Dexter, or there's a lot of them. You go down to the Dexter Starbucks and walk in and say, I'd like a 747. They know what it is. Now, the reason why there's a seven in front of it is because I went from a normal two-shot, right, the double uh -huh. tall, to a triple. And now the triple needed another number because it used to be 47. Give me a 47. There's, yeah. there's a place in Greece. There's one in Kona where all you do is order a 47. They give you a double tall, non-fat, extra hot, no foam latte. <laughs> and and effect, actually, on their little thing, it's, it's double tall, non-fat, or coconut milk. Now I get three shots. And then instead of... Extra hot, no foam. You're supposed to say no foam, extra hot, but it doesn't fuzzle because on their little thing, right? Yeah. The the no foam comes before the extra hot. So now you're just rambling. Now you're no, just I'm now just, you're I'm just giving, yanking my I'm, chain. No, no, I'm giving you stuff. You're making stuff I'm up get, now, no, Cliff. I don't think any of this is true. Yeah, but it's great to go with it. See, <laughs> try it out. I want you to go down there and I'll pay for it. You tell them that number's going to pay for my 747. I, I wish you many, many great all forever, forever plus 47 for you. Plus 47 it's, days. It's yeah, fun catching up a little bit, man. I'm glad you're doing well and thanks for everything you've done for the sport in this city you're you're an icon well and you know one thing when you sleep tonight you're one of my heroes thank you I, if you'd have been turning out i'd have made an all-american out of you i don't know I, I used to hear you talk about and, and, and what's what's his name all-american talker yeah. graz no, no, graz and i graz he, he used to say no i got a little extra weight i said that's all right we'd trim that down yeah keep in mind that marcus could do the hundred yard dash in about six weeks <laughs> and, and, and he was always in the last i used to say once you try to finish second to last instead of last you know yeah. marcus just laugh and chuckle mike mike price the old cougar football coach yeah. timed me yeah. one time in the 40 i was out there doing a show and he says let's time i got done how'd i do it he goes four point ever <laughs> <laughs> cliff best always hey, thanks thank you much, great guys. number live forever plus 47 days cliff mcgrath our soccer legend and our guest on episode seven of the yeah, citizen sounder gas cast another seven, another seven for you seven. thanks very much okay pal